the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was, in fact, Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord heard of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So when he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Then Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. In fact, the fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why, why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Amen. Thank you, Jolene. I invite you to keep your Bible open to John chapter 4. We're going to be going through uh, this awesome passage of scripture about the amazing Jesus. And so let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for the authority that you give us in Jesus. And so I command any evil spirit to leave uh, this room in the name of the Lord Jesus. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, in your sight, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So it was the spring of uh, uh, 1971. I've shared this numerous times, but that was the, the night that my brother Gary shared the gospel with his family and told his story. He just couldn't keep his mouth shut about it because Jesus had made such a difference in his life. And it was that night that there was a revival in our family, and I accepted Christ, and 
Uh, you know, I've never ceased to be amazed since. For the last 45 years, I've been amazed at Jesus. Now, sometimes he hasn't been amazed at me, but I've been amazed at him. And uh, the truth is, Jesus is amazing. And I can't believe it sometimes, just what he can do and what he will do and what he wants to do. And for 2,000 years, I think, uh, we have been amazed by Jesus. And the Bible says his words were amazing. And, you know, as we go through the book of John, his miracles uh, were amazing. His life was amazing. His followers became amazing. In Acts 4.13, it says, they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Notice what they say about Peter and John. It says, they were no uh, they, they were ordinary people. They were unschooled fishermen. But Peter and John were amazing because they were recognized as men who had been with Jesus. The people were astonished, really, at Peter and John. And they took note that these guys had been with Jesus. Today's message is about how amazing Jesus is and what can happen when you and I are with Jesus and how amazing God's love is and his presence can invade our lives and change an ordinary life into something that's amazing. So is Jesus amazing to you? I didn't hear anything. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so Jesus is sitting by a well after a long walk, and he's, he's really tired. And that's normal. Jesus was 100% human. He's tired and thirsty, but also because he's 100% God, when he meets this woman... He knows everything about her, everything about her past, and she had an awful past, and they have a conversation, and this woman's life is changed, and when her life is changed, she goes, and she tells the entire town, and then their life is changed, and that's the big picture, and I want to unpack that a little bit right now. I'm calling it an amazing event. It's in John 4, and I think there are some things in this event that relate to our lives about how God can do amazing things out of ordinary lives when we allow Jesus to be a part of them, when we spend time with Jesus, and maybe somewhere and someone will take note someday that you have been with Jesus. Verse 3, look at verse 3. I love verse 3. So he left Judea to return to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. Isn't that crazy? He had to go through Samaria. I mean, if you read by this fast, uh, you're not going to kind of almost get the humor in this. It says he had to go through Samaria. No Jew, and Jesus was a Jew, would go through Samaria. As a matter of fact, Jews would actually avoid Samaria. He wouldn't take the most direct route because Samaria was right in the middle and they would go way around, way out of their way. They would actually cross the Jordan River and go the long way because for a Jew, a Jew to go through Samaria uh, would be unclean because in Samaria, the Samaritans, whom Jews considered dogs and half-breeds, uh, they were Jews who had been interbred with the Assyrians when the Assyrians kind of took over uh, that northern kingdom, and no Jew really had to go there. But the Bible says, John throws in this little editorial note, that Jesus had to go there. And the old King James, I love it, he must needs go through 
Samaria. You know why he had to go there? Because waiting in Samaria was a spiritual need. There was a spiritual need waiting in the heart and in the life of a woman who was about to be changed. Because like I have prayed many times, Jesus, he's after us. He is after us probably more than we're after him. And he's chasing after us. He is the hound of heaven. But not to punish us for what we've done, but to save us from what we've done. Anyway, I see four applications in this story about Jesus meeting the woman at the well. And application number one, it's in your outline there. Jesus wants to meet you where you are. And it doesn't really matter where you are. And it really doesn't matter what you're going through. Jesus, he can meet you there. He met me there, I know, in 1971. And he's still meeting me. And folks, this might sound like a simple principle, but I tell you, this is really deeply, theologically, you can meet Jesus anywhere. Did you hear me? Anywhere. This woman who had a horrible past and a great need met Jesus at a well, not at a synagogue. She met Jesus at a well. Not at a place of worship, but at a well. You can meet Jesus anywhere, and he has something for you. You can meet him in traffic. You can meet him in an argument with your boyfriend or girlfriend or with your spouse, and Jesus will meet you right there. You can meet Jesus, you know, in your living room. That's where I met him. My whole family. We met Jesus there. The Jesus I heard about all my life. The Jesus I I went to church and Sunday school and Bible school and heard about all my life. I met him in my living room. You can be at school, and Jesus will meet you there, too. You could be at the most boring moment of your life, and Jesus will meet you there. Jesus invades this lady's life during a normal task. And I tell you, she was totally caught off guard because I don't think she was really seeking him. (laughs) And Jesus said to her in verse 7, look at verse 7, will you give me a drink? Please give me a drink. He'd been walking a long time. He was hot, tired. The Bible tells us It was the noon hour, It's actually the hottest time of the day, and a little aside here, none of the other women uh, were getting water at the noon hour. Not only was it the hottest, but it was the time when no one else would really be there. The women would go in the morning when it was cooler, and, you know, they would kind of travel in groups, you know, much like they do today, you know, let's all go to the bathroom, right? Is that the, the way they do it? You know, it's the same thing. We've got to go get water, and they would all go. And so this lady was there by herself at the noon hour, which tells us, I think, a couple of things. One, she either had a water emergency, or two, most likely, she was kind of a social outcast. No one wanted to be around her. She felt so much shame in her life. She felt so much guilt in her life. You know, I'll go when nobody else will see me. And then it says in verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? You know why she was surprised? Because Jesus wasn't a sexist. In that culture, a man like Jesus did not talk to a woman. And Jesus talked to her. 
He wasn't a racist. A Jew would not talk to a Samaritan. She said, you, a Jew? Verse 10, he says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Now, it's a little confusing because this lady is still thinking about water. Let me paraphrase. If you knew, lady, that I was God in the flesh, you'd be asking me for something that would change your life and it wouldn't be drinking water either. It, wouldn't, it, it would be something that only I can give and that's eternal life and that's heaven and that's forgiveness of sins. The amazing thing about this is that Jesus illustrates that God wants to meet us in the here and now, right where we are. And he's got something for you. I mean, whether your past is awful or whether you're a mistake-ridden person, a sin-ridden person, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're needy or whether you're lonely, whether you're internally thirsty, he wants to meet you right here. There's a hymn in our hymn book. Uh, it's the one that, you know, when, when Billy Graham used to do his crusades, they would always sing it at the end, you know, uh, a lot of verses of just as I am. But have you ever really read through those verses, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, yea, all I need in thee I find, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thy love unknown hath broken every barrier down. Now, to be thine, yea, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come. Some of you came here today just thinking, <coughs> maybe you were coming for no reason, just out of habit. That's what I do every Sunday. Fine. That's great. You thought you were maybe coming, uh, maybe you're coming uh, to appease a friend who invited you. Hey, I'm glad they invited you, and I'm glad you came. Or you thought you were coming uh, to go and... Uh, keep a boyfriend or a girlfriend happy or make my spouse feel like I'm really interested in this stuff. But you just may be here today to meet the amazing Jesus who, when you allow him to invade your life, will change an ordinary life into something that's just spectacular, amazing. This woman didn't expect to meet Jesus and yet he filled her with the quality of life that she could only dream of, and he gave her something that she couldn't get on her own, which leads to my second application. Not only does Jesus want to meet you here, but application number two, Jesus wants you to experience peace. You know, I've never met anybody who doesn't want peace in their life. Verse 13, it says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Another version goes like this. Jesus said, people soon become thirsty again after drinking this water, referring to the water at the well. 
but the water I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus, he had something for her that she couldn't get on her own. And every time you drink that physical water, ma'am, you're going to be thirsty again. But those who trust Jesus, they have this living water, this bubbling spring, this, this vigorous stream that guarantees no continual thirst. When Jesus invades a person's life, he promises to take away the misguided thirst quencher and replace it with peace, but most of us miss it. We focus on the well and not on the per person that can make us well. A lot of us here think that we're power or uh, thirsty for power. You know, if I could only get that position, you know, and then I'll have peace. Uh, some of us in here, we are thirsty for wealth. It's all about money. It's all about wealth. And we can't wait for the stock market to turn around and, and the way it's growing now. So we have more security for our retirement. What we really need is not wealth. We need God's wisdom. Some of us here think we're thirsty for achievement. And God says what you really need is significance. The significance that comes from being my child. Some of you here think uh, you're thirsty for church, you know, for religion. And what you really need is a relationship, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, he was a master communicator. And he takes the situation around this well with this woman, and he uses a word picture, I think, that's fantastic, a word picture that's brilliant, water and thirst. Every one of us, even 2,000 years later, can relate to that metaphor, water and thirst. And you know what it's like when you're really thirsty? You know, you probably can even drum it up right now. You know, I can think of the times old wrestling, cutting weight and trying to dehydrate myself to make weight. Maybe you've played a, a hard game of something like uh, Yahtzee or something like that. <laughs> and you're all sweaty and you go to the refrigerator and you just throw open the refrigerator and, and you've got all these options, things that you can drink like, you know, water and Snaffle and Diet Pepsi and iced tea and different things that you can drink and you want whatever it is to quench that thirst. You're so thirsty. And whatever it is, there's typically one drink that you know that works better than all the others. But whatever it is, you pick your choice, you get it, you drink it, and then what do you do? What do you say? You know, it's kind of like that old Diet Coke. You know, you drink it, you go, ah. Huh? Yeah. Ah. Oh, man. <laughs> that word picture. When you're drinking that, that, that drink and then, then that, that ah. feeling comes. It, it really doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter the chaos around you. There's just something in that moment where your thirst is quenched and Jesus says, you know what? Uh, that's available all the time for you, 24-7 for you. That feeling of, ah, that peace that I want to give you in spite of whatever's going on in this world or in your world, therefore, having been justified by faith, I have peace with God. Which leads to application number three. Not only does Jesus want to Meet you where you are, and not only does Jesus want to give you peace, but the third application I could find out of this story is Jesus wants to move past your mistakes. 
When you move past your mistakes, you can find that peace. And look what he says in verse 16. Go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man that you're living with right now. You know, hello. <laughs> you know, how's that for cutting the small talk? You know, how's the weather? You, know, you got five husbands and the one you're living with right now is not your husband. Jesus takes that water metaphor and puts it back in the refrigerator. And he says, let's go for the juggler. Why? Because he's God. And God sees us for who we are. He still loves us. He knows everything about us. And he knows that we need to know that our sin separates us from this holy God. And then she says in verse 19, sir, the woman says you must be a prophet. No kidding. No kidding, you know. The master of the obvious. You must be a prophet. What's funny about that to me is what she does next. Look at verse 20. It says, so tell me, why is it the Jews insist on Jerusalem as the only place of worship, while Samaritans claim that the place of worship, you know, is over there on Mount Gerizim? What was she doing? She was changing the subject. Why? Got a little too hot for her. A little too intense. You know, where are you in your relationship with Jesus Christ? You know? And then maybe we say, oh, I love that song that we sang today, Dave. I just really like that song. Or, you know, I'm wondering about those heathens in Africa or in Asia that never heard. Let's talk about them. Let's change the subject and get the heat off me. We do it all the time. Anytime it feels too intense to talk about or you're embarrassed or something's going on inside and it's getting a little uncomfortable, my encouragement to you is to break through that because that's God. That's God being gracious with you. That's God knocking on your heart's door. That's God wanting to say, I love you. I want to talk with you. I want to teach you. I want to work through this with you. I want you to come to that place of total surrender and dependence on me. And people say, sometimes when I talk about spiritual things, I feel so unworthy because of all the things I've done in the past, I feel so guilty. Okay. You know, I, I've done a lot of bad things too. You know, you're not alone. I think that's happened to everybody. Every one of us has things that we're ashamed of. Amen? Yeah, every one of us. Every one of us. Who doesn't? But what's amazing about Jesus that I want you to hear today, he's standing with this woman, and he brings up the five husbands, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about the future. He never really focuses on the past. He doesn't put it under the rug. We're the ones that focus on the past. And that's what makes shame 
come into your life. Jesus moves right on to the future and he talks about what it's like to worship God, you know, in spirit and in truth. And if anybody could have done any finger pointing, it would have been Jesus. You know, I can't believe you lady five husbands and the one you're living with is not your own. What are you thinking? You are a relationship disaster. You are a relationship nightmare, lady. He doesn't do that. (laughs) Here's the holy one God's son, perfect, and he's standing in the midst of sin, and he's crossing all the barriers, race barriers, gender, religious, to show this woman, this woman love, and he didn't dwell on her past. We're the ones who do that, and we give ourselves labels. I'm an alcoholic. I'm divorced. We always label ourselves based on our past, never on who we are in Jesus Christ. God doesn't do that. He focuses on the future. He doesn't focus on our failure. He focuses on our faith and on our future. I mean, read through Hebrews 11, all those, 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 that hall of faith, people from the Old Testament. You know, he doesn't, there's a lot of crummy people there, but he talks about their faith, <laughs> not their failure. If you're a Christian today, and you're here, and you've been forgiven, then just move on. Move on from your past. Start fresh. Drop the water jug and leave your old life behind. Get on with it. Live for him. Forgiveness, it's an amazing gift when you really understand it. The reason that we can be forgiven is because Jesus is the Savior, because Jesus is the Messiah that we needed, which leads to application number four. Not only does Jesus want to meet you where you are, not only does Jesus want to give you peace, and not only does Jesus want you to move past your mistakes. Number four, Jesus wants you to know, he wants you to know that he is the Messiah. Uh, And the lady, she had some knowledge, really, of the Messiah, didn't she? You know, in verse 25, she says, I know the Messiah will come, the one who is called the Christ, And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. You know, it had been prophesied. Uh, And it was going to happen. It was going to come. And she knew about it. And what does he say? Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Straight out. I who speak to you am he. And folks, what do you do with those four words? I am the Messiah. That's an absolute declaration of deity. I am the Messiah. He didn't say, you know, I'm a pretty good teacher, or he didn't say, uh, I'm a nice moral guy, or he didn't say, I'm, I'm pretty good at being a prophet. Um, he said, I am the Messiah. A lot of people want to say that he was just a good guy, a good teacher. He didn't leave us that as an option for those who are analytical and objective and rational. He didn't say, I'm a good moral teacher. He said, I'm the Messiah. That's what he said. He said, I'm God. A great quote from C.S. Lewis from his little book, uh, uh, Mere Christianity. And I think that's the book God used, really, uh, to change Chuck Colson's life. Remember him, the hatchet man for Nixon? C.S. Lewis was a former atheist. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher He would either be a lunatic on the same level as a man who said he was a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. 
You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. So think back a month ago, in the month of December, the pressing question a month ago was not, you know, when am I going to decorate my house? Or it wasn't, uh, when am I going to buy all the gifts? But the pressing question last month for you and for me was, who is this baby in the manger? Is the baby in the manger a liar? Is he a lunatic who fooled people for 2,000 years? Or is he who he said he was? Is he the Lord? And if he was, what does that do to you? It's my conviction that no one can ever have an amazing life until their life is infused with God's amazing love, with his presence, with his power, the presence of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sure, people can argue uh, with that and say, well, I've had some pretty amazing things happen in my life, you know. My kids are amazing. Well, wonderful. Who created them? Or your God had nothing to do with my career. Oh, really? Where did your mind come from? You just show me something amazing, and it always points back to God. You don't know amazing until you meet the God who created amazing and has the power to change you. He wants you to know here today that he is the Messiah. And it's not just for intellectual reasons. It's it's for spiritual reasons because he wants you to have a a relationship with him and if he already has a relationship with you he wants you to live it to its fullest an amazing life happens when it's centered around God's amazing love and I tell you that's true whether you're hearing it for the first time or you're hearing it for the thousandth time so where are you in your relationship with Jesus Christ maybe you say well I'm following Jesus I'm pursuing Jesus when it comes to Jesus I'm a follower of him I'm a pursuer of him I'm a believer that's why I'm here I'm following Jesus well great let me give you an action step leave the well and go tell leave the well and go tell if you were to read the rest of this event you know what this woman does with all of her past and all of her past sin that's forgiven, the Bible says that when she met Jesus, she left her jug right there. And she ran back and she told the village. And then they came because they wanted to find Christ too. There's never a better time to tell other, others about Jesus than right now. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. And besides, it's January. <laughs> Everybody's making new starts. People are open to going to services during this month. Leave the well and tell So where are you in your relationship with this amazing Jesus? You know, maybe it's not following right now. Maybe you're not pursuing him right now. Maybe you say, you know, I'm kind of stagnant. If I'm really honest with you, Dave, I feel like I'm a little bit stagnant. 
You say, I'm really, I'm, I'm really going nowhere. I'm not really where I want to be. I'm not where I ought to be. And you know what? That's okay. You're not the first person to be stagnant in your spiritual life. I can look back and see times when I've been in a spiritual desert and times when things weren't as fiery as they are sometimes. You're not the first one to have the intimacy lost in your relationship with God in Jesus. You're not the first one to backslide. We need to change our focus to Jesus. We need to do the opposite that the woman did. What did the woman do? The woman changed her focus away from Jesus. Hey, let's talk about where we're going to go worship. Let's talk about the heathen in Africa. And Jesus brought it right back on. And when Jesus and her were face to face, face to face, her life was changed. And your focus is off Jesus, so change the focus back to him. Let's not focus on, you know, I don't want to focus on all the junk that's going on in our denomination. I have to deal with it. I'm forced to deal with it. But I want to focus on Jesus. I want to focus on trying to win people to Jesus. And that's what we need to do. Be amazed again at Jesus. You can't be stagnant when you're amazed with Jesus, when you're amazed with God's goodness. Go back to your Bible. Read those verses that you underlined when you were on fire for Jesus. And just be amazed with him all over again. Go after some verses that talk about how God forgives us. Go to Psalm 103. It says he takes our sins, he throws them as far as the east is from the west. Go to Acts chapter 10 that says everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven. Go to Hebrews chapter 8 that says I will never again remember your sins anymore. Being a Christian really is an amazing thing. I mean, think about it. It's like being pardoned from prison. (laughs) You know? You're freed, you're forgiven, and you're filled with God's Holy Spirit. Listen, Calvary, it's time to get amazed again with Jesus. God hasn't moved. He hasn't changed his character. He hasn't pulled back his love. It's hard to be stagnant when you're amazed. Change your focus. Look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. But what about the person who says, you know, I'm, I'm investigating. I'm, I'm questioning. You know, I'm a seeker. Well, I want to, I wanna, first of all, thank you for your honesty. A lot of people aren't honest that way. At Calvary Church, I want us to have a culture of respect for people that are seeking. We respect your intellectual journey. My challenge to you is to take a step and and to engage. To engage in conversation. To engage in questions. To begin the dialogue. To become a sincere seeker to go to some Bible study, a men's Bible study, a woman's Bible study, to go to a a class on Sunday morning and use it as an excuse to seek. Because the Bible says if you seek him, and if you seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. Maybe you're here today and you're ready to step across the line and say, you know, hey, I want in. I really do. I want to encounter 
Jesus like that woman at the well. I don't get it all, but I want a relationship with God. I'm committing my life to Christ. I want to repent. I want to believe. You know, in Matthew 10, it says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. One version says, all those who stand before others and say they believe in me, I will say before my Father in heaven that they belong to me. You know, if you believe, you belong. If you believe that Jesus Christ was that infinite God-man who died on the cross, who three days later proved his deity by resurrecting from the dead, and you put your faith in him, you know, to trust in what he did on the cross alone for your salvation, nothing that you can do, if you believe, you belong. Jesus said, anyone who believes has eternal life. John chapter 6, verse 47. We're going to hit that in a few weeks. You say, well, that seems way too simple. Yeah, it does. That's what's amazing. Salvation is simple. It's God's simple way to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I want a relationship with you, and I've done everything that I'm going to do to make it possible. I died on the cross. I took the punishment that you deserved, and I shed my innocent blood for you. The amazing message today is that the amazing Jesus wants to invade your life and change an ordinary life into an amazing one and fill you with his presence all the time and make his peace available to you and to forget your past and to forgive you of it. You know, we just celebrated Christmas. I want to say in that manger was the Messiah. And that he would have anything to do with you, anything to do with me, that is amazing. That is astonishing. And I never want to get over that. I never want to be amazed at the love of God, that he loves me. He can forgive my sin and throw my sins as far as the east is from the west and to, to bury them in the river of his love. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you today. I thank you for the people that are here. Lord, that you meet all of us where we're at, whether we're sitting in a church or sitting in a car or at the grocery store. Lord, you wanna, you wanna meet us where we're at, just like you met the woman at the well. And Lord, I pray that our lives would be different because that we're here today. And if you're sitting here and you wanna begin that relationship with God, you might just repeat after me in the silence of your heart, Something like this. God, I want to know you. I want to encounter you. I want to begin a relationship with you. Jesus, I admit to you that I am a mistake-prone person. I'm a sin-prone person. I need the forgiveness that you have promised. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life and give me the peace where I won't thirst again. Fill me with the bubbling spring of your presence, God. And I thank you for hearing our prayers. I, thanks for loving us enough to want a relationship with us. That's, that's amazing, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.